Be advised, the following episode contains content that may not be appropriate for all audiences. I lost a couple of good friends who don't know how to deal with me. That was sad, but it wasn't critical as far as my everyday stuff. I have a brother who didn't deal with it well, and he still doesn't talk with me. I have a sister who I've gotten close to. This is Diary of a Nation. I'm your host, Christina Zlotnick. My podcast explores the human experience in an effort to help us better understand one another. The transgender community is one of the most marginalized segments of American society. New Hampshire State Representative Jerry Cannon has undergone the transition from man to woman. Not only is she a lawmaker, she also serves on the school board in her community. Representative, welcome. Let's start with terminology. Could you explain the difference between sex and gender? Sex is who do you go to bed with. Your gender is who do you go to bed as. So sex is biological. (laughs) Right. Gender is a social construct, a gender identity. Yes and no. Gender is, in some ways, it's between your ears. It's how you identify uh, from a mental state. From a physical standpoint, some people are more feminine and some people are more masculine. And that may have something to do with it, but not all people um, are, are, are that way. I've always, from a very young age, 12 or 13 years old, I always felt like I needed to be a girl. But in the 1960s, <laughs> when... When I was 12 to 13, there was nothing to find that would give me a clue that there were special, special things as far as gender went. And so the assumption was, I just got to be the way everyone tells me I ought to be. Let's talk more about your childhood in a moment, but let's go into a few more definitions first. Okay. LGBTQ+. <laughs> let's go through that list. Lesbian. We know Les- lesbians. Lesbian. Are women gay- attracted women. to other women? Yes. A gay, gay men. But also gay women. Sometimes oh, women yeah. like to be called Absolutely. gay women instead of lesbians. Lesbians, sure. Then we have bisexual. Um, people that are attracted to either gender, sex, they're flexible. <laughs> Transgender, yourself is? Transgender are people that identify opposite their physical gender as they were born. I'm a transgender woman, for instance. It's people that have mixed gender. It could be, this is not on your list, but a non-binary person, someone who doesn't identify with either gender. They are also a transgender person. Uh, so transgender is, is that. Essentially, we, we don't necessarily identify with the social norm. <laughs> Which is so. the opposite of cisgender. Cisgender are people who aren't transgender. So I am cisgender. I am a heterosexual woman. Right. I'm the opposite of a transgender woman. Right. And then we have queer or questioning. Queer or questioning. And that nowadays, some of that may uh, fall into the non-binary characteristic. Some people want to be known as they, them, or there as their pronouns. And so those people sort of identify as non-binary. But others just say, well, I'm queer. 
um, different. Umbrella term. Yeah. And then plus is also an umbrella term. It is, because there's intersex and pansexual and asexual and other terms that fall into the bucket of Q. Why can't we just be human beings that accept one another for who we are? You know, that's the way it ought to be. (laughs) We're all different in our own way. I know guys that are incredibly feminine, and I've done the dumb thing and and ask, so you're gay? And they go, no. (laughs) 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 No, no way. That's the reality. We we do have feminine men, and we do have masculine women. And then we have everything across the spectrum. And we are people. Bottom line, we're people. We do have a lot of these social constructs, and we all may fall into them in different ways. And part of it, especially in the transgender community, we have people that want to be called transsexuals and others called cross-dressers. And for the term transgender is also uh, an overriding term that, that encompasses a lot of that um, those those communities. People who change how they present themselves as a cross-dresser, for instance. Transsexual is an old term that people used when they got their surgical procedures and transitioned. People would get upset with me if I said I was transsexual because there are some operation procedures I have not done. One term you should not use is transgendered with an ED at the end because that implies that that somebody became transgender where a transgender person is transgender to to start off with. Uh, I'm a transgender person. It's an adjective. Uh, whereas transgendered could be a noun. When we see in a person's email signature a reference to he, she, or they, it's an indication they're either an ally of the LGBTQ plus community, or they themselves are asking you to respect how they want to be addressed. Yeah, when we're talking about a non-binary person, they want to know as be known as they. And I respect them for that, or I have to anyway. It is sometimes difficult to remember that they want to be known as they. When you were a child, how did you perceive yourself? When I was about 12 to 13, I felt that I was different. Let's put it that way. What felt different? I wanted to wear dresses. I wanted to be with my girlfriends in the community. I wanted to do things that typically weren't associated with with guys. I was not a jock. I was not a big sports player. That was difficult to fit in. I had to work at things. And usually, especially when we got into school sports, I sat on the bench because I wasn't very good at a lot of that stuff. Did you grow up in a supportive environment? And what state did you grow up in? I grew up in Massachusetts. My parents were supportive of me as an individual, as as their child. I was the oldest child of four. My parents were supportive of all of us as kids. I was a boy. I was expected to do boy stuff. Dad was a heavy equipment operator, and I tried my best. We had fun. I did all of the, the things. And there were times when I wanted to do more girly stuff. But my sister was the, the youngest of the group, almost seven years between us. I didn't connect as well with my sister as I did with my two brothers. You eventually married a woman. 
Why did you get married in the first place? I had to prove to myself that I was a man, and I was hoping that in the process of being married that I'd overcome my concern that I was feeling more feminine. Because you thought society wanted you that way? Yes. The social norm. So I got married, and we had kids. How many kids do you have? Two daughters. I was a transgender person and transgender woman in hiding with with three women in my family. (laughs) (laughs) Is that like the Kardashians? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And when I had free moments all to myself and the family went off to do things, I would find time to get dressed up as a girl. I imagine your wife is living in the house and she must at some point see something, sense something. She didn't. Ever? Transgender people, before they come out, are incredibly good at hiding. How many years were you married? Well, in total, about 40, but we were physically together um, about 30 years. See, I was about 45 when I came out. So that was 22, 23 years of living together where she didn't know. Uh, And she was shocked to find out. Because when I came out, I came out as a cross-dresser. I told her I was a cross-dresser and that I I knew there were other cross-dressers that I could con- wanted to connect with. And, and I had to tell her. I didn't know why. She struggled with that. She, she thought it was terrible. Up until that point, whatever girl clothes I had, I had hidden in very odd spots so that nobody would find them. And so she had no clue. And I, I didn't do my nails, and I didn't wear perfume, and I, there were a lot of things I didn't do uh, that were visible and was meticulous about how I hid my tracks, so to speak. And until that point, I was very secretive of it. And then she told me, she says, you need to continue to do that. We're not going to tell the kids for a while. You need to continue to cross-dress in private and stay married? I would get cross-dressed and then go out for the night. So I'd get dressed in the bathroom and then immediately head out to my vehicle and drive from from my home to Manchester where there were a couple of gay clubs. And there were transgender and cross-dressers at those clubs that I could connect with. That was okay with your wife? Yes. She, she didn't want me to dress at all in the house. Obviously, yes, not at the home, but she was okay with you doing that in the community and staying married to her. Yeah, as long as I didn't do it within my, the town we lived in or in any place that knew us as a couple. What cracked eventually? Somewhere along the way, I had gotten together with her brother, who was from the West Coast, and somewhere I mentioned to him of my situation, which he said, oh, okay, no big deal. I can accept that. You know, that was good. But he went home to the West Coast. He didn't do anything about it. I 
had given him a pointer to if he wanted to see what I looked like online on my web, on a web page, uh, he could do that. Well, at some point, he shared with my wife's aunt a pointer to this page that was about cross-dressing people. Her aunt wasn't quite sure what to think of it and then contacted my wife. And I'll never forget that day I was in San Diego on, on a, at a business trade show and went for my hotel room down to get a, some breakfast in the cafe and my phone rang. And the question immediately was, what did you do? I must have turned white. <laughs> I could feel the blood flow out. I said, um, I'm not sure what. So she had to explain the situation. And I go, well, I may have mentioned something to your brother, but he was supposed to keep it under wraps. And I guess he decided it was time to share. So that happened, and it, it really blew my day, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, you were somewhat outed. Yes, very much so. So I flew home. We had a conversation in the living room. Now, one of the things I felt frustrated about was being at home and not being able to be who I was a lot of times I'd be at home and I'd just sit there. Yeah, not being your authentic self. Watching TV, being very, very depressed. And and I always wondered, well, I almost want to get out of this marriage, but I I don't want to be the one that does that. And I'm hoping my wife will come around and support me. Eventually when we sat down, I asked her, I says, do you want me to move out? Because you're embarrassed by me. And she said, yes. And for me, it was like a celebration. (laughs) I had been waiting and wanting to change. I felt depressed in my own home. I had to move somewhere where I felt more in tune to who I was. Over the years since then, we built our friendship over again. And at one point, we talked about getting back together again, but we'd lived separately for so long, we look at each other and go, no. <laughs> so, uh, we, st- we stayed apart, bought my own home, and I was starting to live my own life true to myself. So, 10 years later, which is not, it was only a few years ago, we finally, we finally decided to get a divorce. Um, we had kept our lives together, and we had a, a, a family property in common. So we didn't want to do the split and have to worry about legal stuff and all that. And then uh, finally, finally, after all that stuff was done and we were really settled into our own homes, we decided, uh, let's get a divorce because our income is being tied together when we do our taxes and other legal things. And by doing a formal separation and, and divorce, we would a- actually be able to, to live better and have better opportunities for health care and, and all of that. We're friends now. We told the kids whenever they have something going on, you can invite the two of us at the same time. We're not going to kill each other. <laughs> that makes their lives a lot easier. It did. It did. In fact, our kids told us at one point, you guys did this right. It wasn't a violent 
divorce. It wasn't I hate you type of divorce. It was the right thing to do. But how did you summon the courage to come out in the community? There's so much discrimination. There's so much violence against the transgender community. When I was traveling for business, I'd bring some clothes, and, and I ultimately I would go out in the community as, as me and explore what it meant to be a, a transgender woman in the community. Uh, I didn't necessarily look um, or feel like I do today. Well, I needed to make a living. Uh, that same year, we split apart and I bought my own home. I was making six figures in the, in the computing industry, computer industry. I got laid off. I had told my employer that I was going to be transitioning on the job uh, at Hewlett Packard. And two months later, uh, I, was, I was laid off in a massive layoff. But at the same time, somebody else was hired into the group that I was in doing a job I'd been doing. So the handwriting was on the, on the wall there. They said it didn't have anything to do with me being a transgender person. There was something there. So it was easy to, to drop, drop me and run. And, and I had to find an income. I started my own carpentry business, and I ran it as Jerry. People in my community got to know me as, as Jerry. It was a, a new life. Is Jerry the name you've always had? No. My middle name was Gerard. So I was able to use Jerry for a number of things. as still a legal name. And um, my first name was legally Dennis. So now my name is Jerry Denise Cannon. I never really had a a need for the name of Gerard. (laughs) So Jerry was actually kind of cool. And um, and then the D- Denise I threw in there to be respectful to my parents that I was using the two names they gave me, just reverse order and the feminine versions of both. How have your relationships changed before you transitioned and after? Have you lost people in your life? I lost a couple of good friends who don't know how to deal with me, and that was that was sad, but it wasn't critical as far as my everyday stuff. I have a brother who didn't deal with it well, and he still doesn't talk with me. I have a sister who I've gotten close to, and we've had good conversations. I had another brother, but he died um, a while ago. He had pancreatic cancer. It was so sad. I'm sorry. Yeah. He struggled with me coming out just in general, even when I was flagging myself as a cross-dresser, he, he wasn't quite sure about that. But he wasn't, he wasn't super upset. He just thought it was odd. <laughs> I think now is a good time as any to reinforce this information that the notion that being LGBTQ+, on that spectrum, that it's a psychological disorder was discredited by the American Psychological Association and the American Psychiatric Association 50 years ago. And you are one of approximately 1.4 million transgender adults in the U.S.? Somewhere around there, yes, that we know of. So that's a major city, 1.4 million. Yeah. Yet most of us, the vast majority of us who are not transgender, 
do not know anyone who is transgender or think we don't know anyone, <laughs> which is part of the problem. That's, that's yes, that's part of the problem. As I me- mentioned before, uh, transgender people hide real well. And it, that even includes the public aspect of being. There are people who identify as transgender, but don't physically or even clothing-wise change. It doesn't change that they're not transgender people. In their head, In right. In their head, they are. And and then they fight that, and it bec- that becomes a psychological challenge um, in the issue. And, and that's where therapists have to work with people. For one reason or another, in my case, I saw a therapist for quite a while. I wasn't happy, but I need. I had the family. I had things that required me to be that that guy that I had been. Um, I I knew my community that we raised our family with would have some difficulty with that, and I didn't want to put them at risk. I still know that there's challenges for my wife. I kind. I don't share her name um, with anybody to keep her safer. Respect me for allowing her to keep that secret that she doesn't want a lot of people to know. Do you feel safe? I know you're in a progressive community, but still. I have my moments when I don't. I've been out long enough that I've, I've had my, my challenges with people. Most of it's just comments and, and treating me badly. There are just communities of people that don't want to understand the gay, lesbian, and bisexual, and transgender community. They think that we shouldn't be this way. I've had at least one death threat online that people couldn't track. Uh, and, and that was not too long ago, which really encouraged me to, to do what I had trying to avoid, which I, I bought a personal protection device, more commonly known as a handgun. I don't want to have to ever use it. Uh, I've told people before, I said, I have two dogs in my house, and if they don't scare you away, I'll introduce you to my friends Smith and Wesson. On the subject of violence against the transgender community, could it be that in the case of a cisgender man who is committing the act of violence, it may be a response to a fear of being shamed, for lack of a better word, for being tricked by a transgender person's outward physical appearance? A lot of times when we see um, a transgender person being abused or, or killed, the perpetrator is usually a man who didn't realize that this person um, physically, like, like me, for instance, may, may not be complete. So is it that cisgender man being or feeling threatened by his perceived sense of masculinity. Yes. Yeah. Is that what we're dealing with? <clears throat> That's what we deal is with. Is that what the violence, lot. is that the root of it? That's part of it, yeah. What's the other part? Um, religion. It's like, I'm in a situation that's against my religion, and I didn't realize that. I have to get rid of the evidence. They've gone the extreme. Uh, I'm going to attack this person, and... Uh, and sometimes it's, I'm going to attack them to make them aware I don't want you to tell anybody else. And sometimes it's it gets beyond that. I'm going to right the perceived wrongs in this society. Yes, that's, that's another big thing. Uh, there are people that just 
don't care for, for someone who sins, per se, that, who's against the Christian beliefs. I'm a Christian transgender person. Boy, that really confuses people. <laughs> How can you be Christian and yet be transgender? The God I know loves everyone. The church I go to is a Christian church, and they love me just the way I am. I wish more p- people understood that. How do you communicate with religious conservatives? It Sometimes it's really difficult. If someone's quoting verses from the Bible, I let people know that I'm a child of God, like everybody else. Says, I didn't choose to be this way. I just am this way. I have been taught that two things. First off, God doesn't make any mistakes. And so I'm not a mistake. And I must have a, a purpose that he sees in me. The other thing is the number one commandments is treat your neighbor as yourself. So I, I struggle with some folks who they can't understand, but in some ways they don't want to understand. For some people, I might be able to get a, into a dialogue where we are having a dialogue. I may not change their mind, but I might open their mind. And then there's other people that are adamant. There's a gender binary. It's male or female. There's no in-between. And, and I, I want to zing them with, with the hermaphrodites or intersex people who are born with ambiguous genitalia. And, but many times they say, you know, this is not worth it. I, I can get into all sorts of discussions and I may not change their mind. I might as well beat my head against the wall. It's actually more pleasing. I am a Christian. I go to a Christian church. Uh, and, and I'm a leader in my Christian church. I've given services at the UCC church. Uh, I'm involved with the Open and Affirming Committee for the, the UCC conference here in the, in the state of New Hampshire. And I do go from church to church when I'm requested to help them understand a lot of what you're asking here. I go to churches that... I don't know. We are people just like everybody else and reach out and love somebody. So in addition to being a Christian and being active in your church, you're also a New Hampshire state representative. You're up for re-election. You are on the school board in your community, too, and you just won re-election to the school board. Yes. It may be helpful that our, our mayor is gay. He's the only out mayor, out gay mayor in the state that we know of anyways. So he encouraged me to run for the school board. It may be because he's also the principal of the middle school. I told him right up front, I said, no favors for me being on the school board. If I'm on the school board, it's here to help the kids. It's here to help the community. I've been here for six years. I'm in my third year of being on the school board. It's an elected job, and so I won my election um, three years ago to school board. I was really surprised. I won by six votes over the the mayor's partner. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) So we kept it in the family, you know. (laughs) So then then the following year, I ran for state representative and won a seat. We have uh, three house seats here in the community. So I won one of those three seats. What have you been able to accomplish as a state lawmaker? My very first bill was to allow non-binary people 
to request an X instead of an M or F on their driver's licenses in the state. Explain to people why that's so important, because as you're transitioning, the paperwork transitions too. Oh, yeah. I had my gender changed on my birth certificate in Massachusetts. It just took a a form with a, a statement from my primary doctor that identified me as a transgender person for the foreseeable future so that I wouldn't be changing it back and forth. And I took that that letter, that form, to Massachusetts. And it was freedom. It's like, I now I can change all of the documents that reflect me, as, as well as I had my name changed up here in New Hampshire. Took all of that, and now I was free to be myself. My name was Jerry. My, my birth certificate identified me as female. My driver's license referred to me as female. I went and got my social security card information changed to recognize me as female. I went to get my passport changed with my, with my new name and gender as female. And all of a sudden, it was, I am free to be myself. That piece of baggage from years gone by, I can cut the cord on that with the new information. Not that I cut the cord on all that made me who I was, who I am today. Um, Some transgender people want to get rid of all that. All of who I am is because of my background and the things I did, and, and I still value that today. The only thing that's left from all of that is that my kids still call me dad. (laughs) What do you think about that? (laughs) Because I told them to call me dad. I said, forever and ever, I will be your dad, and your mom will be your mom. Because I couldn't give birth to you, and she did. Now, I know a lot of my uh, people that I know that are transgender women... um, don't like that notion at all. They they want to be mom or or whatever. I am my kid's dad. Their husbands call me Jerry. My grandson calls me Gigi. He's recently uh, been made made aware. He asked questions. He now knows that I'm a transgender woman, and and it's he's okay with it. <laughs> And he's talking to his mom, my daughter, and he he said, oh, "Mom, is is Gigi a man, a man or a, a girl?" And my uh, I, my daughter says to him, "says um, Gigi used to be a man. Now he's he's a girl." My grandson says, "Oh," and then walks out the room. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's nope. just a matter of fact. No big deal. Our future generation of kids, even even my daughter's uh, generation, are so much more forgiving um, and willing to understand more than my generation or previous generations. Although I'm finding out that there are older older people that go, so? <laughs> I said, well, I can't change that. This is who you are. I'll just, that's what how I'll treat you and what I call you. Jerry, you used to be a trucker. What was that like as a profession? I ran into the situation where um, when the banks went bust and my the carpentry business I had went bust, <laughs> that I had to do something else to survive. 
So I learned how to drive a tractor trailers, which was a was a fun thing to get in a big truck and learn how to drive it. Try and back one of those guys up. <laughs> I can't. I remember when we were moving across country from Oklahoma to New Hampshire, and my husband had the moving truck. He was driving that. I was driving the regular car. He jackknifed it because partly I didn't understand what the back of the motel looked like, the yeah. configuration of the parking lot. Yeah. It was a big mess. We had to knock on doors and get someone else who knew how to drive a truck to <laughs> ride it for us. Yeah, it takes takes a bit because some of what you would nor how you normally drive your car, if you're backing up or you're trying to pull into a s- spot, sometimes you got to think backwards. You don't turn in, you turn out. You learn that when you're driving driving a big truck that has a cantilever. It's a seventy hour work week. A lot of people don't realize a truck driver uh, can work seventy hours, and if they spread it out over time. A truck driver could be driving every day. And that's very difficult in and of itself. Being being a woman on the road and and a transgender woman on the road, you know, we have special needs. I didn't have any problems in the truck stop. There were so many different people in general. It's like I could use the women's room for the most part wherever I was. Let's talk about the wedge issue of transgender people using public bathrooms. It's baseless, fear-mongering, designed to score political points. Every human being needs access to a bathroom. And if we're truly worried about the assault or abuse of women and children, we know exactly which segment of society deserves the blame, and it's not the transgender community. Absolutely. The very first time we, we started discussing transgender rights in 2010, we were one of the first states to encounter the bathroom bill. (laughs) And we were trying to tell people, it doesn't exist. Transgender people are incredibly concerned about their own safety when they go into a restroom. That's why a transgender woman won't go into a men's bathroom, because they might not come out. And and they could be abused in, in a women's restroom by some guy who wants to attack a woman. It was so wrong to make that argument because there was no basis for it. There was no history of it. And even now when you go to investigate how many of these things have occurred, and they say, oh, yeah, we, yeah, that's happened. And, and so someone will flag it. says, well, what happened? It says, well, some guy went into the restroom and put a camera in there to watch the girls. <laughs> it was a straight guy that did that, not a transgender person. It's not transgender women. Some some people think, well, that's a guy. And I said, no, they're a transgender woman. They identify as a woman. They want to be treated as a woman. Would they attack another woman? No way, because they respect women. And that's the way I am. I really respect women, probably more so than I ever did. You're a political pawn. Yeah. I was an excuse for <laughs> bad behavior of other men. It's a challenge that every state that proposes legislation that's used and uh, the organizations that stand behind um, their Christian values use that as an excuse to battle with the transgender community. The thing that I found from a safety standpoint in the, in the restrooms is, first off, I don't want to be seen by a woman if I have private parts. Says, those are my private parts. Pe- people don't need to see those things. And uh, I... I would get frustrated with some place that have these doors that you can see through the gaps in the doors. Yes. 
you're in a private space. And, and I think that's the way it ought to be. But I also know of transgender, a transgender person I have, a friend that I have, who, who walked out of a women's room and a boyfriend of a, a woman that was in, in there beat the crap out of my friend, sending her to the hospital. And I thought that was so terrible. So it's okay to beat someone to the point where they have to be sent to a hospital, but it's not okay for them to use a restroom to, to relieve themselves. It doesn't make sense. But a lot of things in our society don't make sense. So, What issues do we need to address? The first thing we need to um, do is to do what many of the states have already done, is in the non-discrimination or disenfranchised people sections of the statutes in each state, is to, is to identify gender identity as, as a community of people that needs to be um, respected like everyone else. Color, um, sex, country of origin, all those things that are, that are identified in our statutes that call out specific groups of people. I wish we didn't have to call out specific groups of people. As transgender people, we're not looking for anything more than anybody else. A lot of people say, oh, you're trying to, you're trying to get all these rights. This is, we're trying to get equal rights with everyone else. Just treat us the same. Give us the same opportunities. We're running into a problem right now where uh, our president has really done a number on, on rights, especially transgender rights. We have a war going on, uh, the ban on transgender people in, in the military. I, I remember when that happened, I had a, a, a news team in my face. What do you think about this? And I said, it's crazy. Um, if people want to defend the country, they ought to be able to do it. The other piece was just frightening, is when a transgender person needs medical assistance, needs medical help, and, and the president says, it's okay for a doctor or a nurse to turn away a transgender person and not give them care. Are we talking about routine medical care? Yeah, a regular primary care physician. It's, it's crazy. If I broke my arm and went into a hospital emergency room and the doctor there has, has some religious connection and they just don't want to deal with this transgender person, they can say, no. I, I won't treat you. And same with a, a primary care physician. Oh, I've been given the license to tell you no. I, says, I don't want to treat you anymore. And that's scary. What do we need to do with respect to health care in this country as it relates to the transgender community? We need to uh, take a look at what a special needs a transgender person has. There are surgical procedures that are needed. There are hormones that people take. S special needs like therapist or psychologist to help someone through. In most of these cases, the procedures and what are being talked about are no different than what people receive already. And so we're not asking for more than what's possible, but to authorize it because this person is transgender, you can't turn them away. And from an insurance company perspective, it's, it's to have the insurance company stand up and say, okay, I need to treat this person like I would treat any 
other person. In the case of uh, female-to-male transgender, if they need a, a full mastectomy to reduce their, their chest, if the insurance company would pay for that procedure for a woman for her health care, they should ought to do the same thing for a, a transgender man for health care reasons. I've seen even in teenagers as they've gotten older and their parents are cringing, they, their car- parents are supportive and their child has a double D chest, which calls out that they're a woman and this child does not want to identify as a woman. They want to identify as a man. So they are so relieved when they can get their, their breasts removed, even though their parents have to pay for the procedure. And the parents will pay for the procedures to keep their children happy. So as a transgender person, let's talk about what that person does from a medical standpoint. So hormones are almost always done? Yes. Yes, it's one of the first things uh, that happens is um, estrogen for uh, male to female folks, as well as a... uh, a drug to reduce testosterone in the system. And then yeah, female to males, their first hormone is injecting testosterone, which is an incredibly strong hormone. In all cases, we are encouraged to seek out therapeutic help in the process because for many of us know that a change in hormones can be dramatic to our our well-being, our, how we relate to people, and, and testosterone really can do that. All of a sudden, you've got someone who's got wild mood swings. Male to female folks, although they're, they're growing breasts, and they're so tender, and that, that hurts, but they're also getting these mood swings. <laughs> I've heard it compared when a person is transitioning, the hormonal comparison to someone, say, in middle school. You're going through puberty all over again. Yes. <laughs> that, that sounds familiar? Yes, it does. You're going through puberty all over again. And some people do react differently. I was a very slow developer. And there's other, other transgender women who have, all of a sudden, their breasts have grown so much in, in six months, they're, they're they're not recognizable as far as their chest goes. <laughs> we also have gender reassignment surgery. And you had told me before we started the interview that not everyone does that for any number of reasons, cost being one of them. It's probably one of the big ones. For um, male to female, the cost right now is somewhere in the, the twenty-five dollars to $30,000 range. That's really a lot of work, but the results are actually fairly good from an aesthetics perspective. Keep in mind, it doesn't create um, ovaries and and all the aspects. The internal network. The internal network. But can you create a penis? There are um, procedures to create a penis using skin from other parts of that person's body. Will that person have the same sexual satisfaction? Probably not. But they don't know what it is to start off with, but they may have function. In some ways, the same may be true for transgender women. Although there's a lot of sensitivity that's still left, is it as extreme as, in, like in the case of an orgasm, as it would be for a, a natural-born genetic woman? Maybe not. The nerve endings and all of that can be damaged 
no matter which surgical procedure is done, but from the individual perspective, to have their genitalia look like it should for the gender they identify as can be life-saving because it is a medical procedure to help them be who they are. Let's talk about what is not appropriate. It's not appropriate to ask a transgender person about their genitalia. It's just like asking someone like me if I had breast implants. And if you saw me in person, you'd know that was a silly question anyway. <laughs> but that's been asked any number of times in the media. Oh, my goodness. So it's... It's, it's humiliating. It is humiliating. Um, and especially someone asking you, well, what's between your legs? And, uh, if someone, someone, no one's ever done that to me, but I, I let people know. If someone asks you that question, ask the same question of them. What's between your legs? <laughs> I think it sometimes helps to put ourselves in the other person's position, and then we understand how ridiculous it sounds what we're asking. It really is. It's like, why are you asking that question? It has nothing to do with you. It's all about me. So, don't worry about it, because I'm not going to make love to you. <laughs> <laughs> Regarding makeup, I want to let people know that in one of my earlier podcast episodes, I interviewed a makeup artist here in New Hampshire, Chris Blevins of Chris Cosmetics. She is the makeup artist for the presidential candidates who campaign here in New Hampshire, and she also works with the transgender community. She's very kind and welcoming. She consults in person at her Manchester studio or virtually over the computer. Makeup is a big thing for, for folks, uh, especially during the, the early times of, uh, of hormones. Part of it is, in the case of male to female, is the facial structures and how the muscles in your face look. Makeup is a way to highlight more of the, their feminine features. I wore enough makeup that I, I said, you know what? I'm going to be a Mary Kay salesperson. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to win that pink Cadillac and everything. So I, I did. <laughs> I became a Mary Kay salesperson. And when we went to meetings and they were showing their, their new salespeople how to do makeup, I said, I can show you more about makeup than they do. <laughs> 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 and since that time, I got to a point in my life I hardly ever use makeup. I am so comfortable with who I am. I will admit some of my facial features change to become more softer. I also have a, a very low-grade rosacea. My cheeks are always reddish. I will use some eye makeup and lipstick for special events. I know how to do makeup probably better than a lot of women, but I don't do it very often anymore. What do you tell young people who feel... They are not the gender that corresponds to their sex. I've been um, involved with many young people and their parents who are going through these, the, the gender challenge phase. The very young children, I don't, I don't do a lot of communication with them in general, but as the kids get into their teenage years, I share parts of my story. The parents have told me outright that I have become a role model for their kids as well as themselves because it shows that you can be whatever you want to be. 
and, and in my in my background of being in the computer industry for 30 years, for being uh, uh, an owner of a construction company, my contracting business, for being a truck driver, for becoming a school board member, for being in the legislature, you can do whatever you want to do. Just be proud of yourself. Be proud of yourself every day. You're a strong person. You want to learn new things. You want to do new things. Have a ball. Enjoy who you are. So having a ball as it relates to sports performance. (laughs) Testosterone seems to be the magic molecule by which we judge athleticism. Right. But is that really the most accurate way that we make the playing field level? It depends. Actually, for both genders in their teenage years, if they know they are a transgender youngster and they're working with their parents, they should be looking to be able to start on hormone blockers so that they don't go through puberty to start off with. They won't grow breasts uh, or have their period. It's for the guys who are not going to become as muscular as they as they could be. It's to essentially stall that procedure, that, that effort, until they're 18 years of age and they can decide, I want this surgery. Uh, in some cases, that a doctor, for one reason or another, may actually put a child on hormone therapy, but it's not usually the case. So hormones then become the thing by which we judge kids. Actually, the, their, their birth record becomes how we judge kids. It's just, if it says on your birth record that you're a male, uh, a lot of people don't want that male person in the girl's room, in the girl's locker room. That young male person who identifies as female does not want anyone in that locker room to see their genitalia. They're embarrassed by it. They want it removed as soon as they possibly can. In some ways, the same thing is true for the female to male, is they don't want people to recognize that they have breasts. In many cases, it's, it's um, to wear a binder to flatten the chest. But in a locker room, they don't want to show people that that's what they're wearing, or that um, they have a vagina instead of a penis. So for the kids, the embarrassment is that they want, don't want people to see that, but yet they want to play in the sports that t- people typically identify as being male or female. Because their hormones are stalled, essentially, they don't necessarily have uh, increased strength as it pertains to women's sports. In the, in the case of, of the female-to-male person, a doctor might make an exception so that that person can compete in a male world. I remember reading a story about a young person in Texas who'd been taking uh, testosterone, and they were a wrestler in the men's um, league and were a really good wrestler in that league. And then they were told, no, you can't wrestle in that league. You're a girl. So you need to wrestle the girls. There was no challenge for them. They they were mu- a muscular person in a woman's world, and uh, she ran away with all the titles. 
they ran away with all the titles. Let's put it that way. And so it was sad that that went on. There are male to female folks that transition later in life, and they may have developed some of the muscular um, form. Okay. It's the prior exposure to the male levels of testosterone mm-hmm. when they transition later in life. Right. That's also an issue of contention. I'll tell you something. I'm not as strong as, especially my upper body strength. It's nowhere near what it was five years ago. And it's primarily because of hormones. I do some woodworking. It's my art form. And things that I used to be able to pick up and move around, I couldn't even think about moving them nowadays. Yep, some of it may be age-related, but a lot of it is I don't have the muscle mass I used to have. In the adult world of sports, and especially in the Olympics, for instance, they have rules. If you've transitioned, you have to be on those hormones for X amount of time. I forget how much time and it is. And at a certain level. Yeah. The number is important, too. Yeah. And and for instance, for me, my testosterone level is zero. Even though I haven't undergone some of the procedures, I don't, I don't have any testosterone. It has another side effect. I have, I have no libido. I have no sexual drive. <laughs> well, and that's something we have to recognize, too, that the hormone changes more than just the thing we're trying to change, yes. which might be the level playing field in sports. It also has unwanted side effects. So it's not a settled issue. No, it isn't. But we're trying to figure out the best way we can to make it a little more equal using science. That's right. And a transgender person wants to fit in. They want to compete at a similar level. Most people don't want to be that competitive, over-competitive thing that calls attention to them. Uh, They want to compete on a level basis. Fair and square. Yeah. As a... A young, a young man trying to compete in sports. There were many sports I really couldn't compete in. I was having problems as a very sort of petite uh, young, young person in high school. The bullies would really bully me and take advantage of it. And uh, as a sophomore in high school, one of the gym teachers came up to me and said, I need a young, lightweight person on the wrestling team. Would you like to come out for the wrestling team? I had never thought it. I said, do you think I can do that? And he said, well, I need someone at 103 pounds. I said, well, I can do that. And so I went out for wrestling. I became a varsity wrestler as a sophomore in high school, wrestling at 103 pounds. And then the next year, I, I wrestled at 112 pounds. And, and, and the following year, I wrestled at 118 pounds. I graduated high school weighing all of about 120 And I learned to protect myself. And the bullies also learned that I was a varsity wrestler. Leave him alone. (laughs) Yeah, that that goes far. (laughs) Yes. So I learned to protect myself. And that helped out a lot. Yeah, I became a varsity wrestler. (laughs) If I share that with people, they go, you were what? (laughs) (laughs) On the subject of comedy... The uh, talk show host, John Oliver, made a great argument on behalf of the transgender community a few years ago. I put that up on the uh, podcast Facebook page. And basically, he uses satire to punch up at the government's shortcomings in addressing civil rights issues. I think if a comic is not prejudiced, they're punching up. But if they are prejudiced, they're punching down and insulting the transgender yes. person. Yes, I would agree with that. Um, I been 
very ashamed of some comedians um, that have positioned us in the negative light. It's it's very it's very sad. And then thrilled with those that that praise us for being strong people, and for for doing what it takes for us to be happy with ourselves. I laugh at myself all the time. I'm a happy person for the most part. <laughs> When I get down, I really get down, and it's usually not because I'm transgender. It's for other reasons. So, we dehumanize transgender people with our rhetoric and our policies. Some of us even hide behind religion to justify the discrimination. We shut transgender people out of our lives. We laugh at them. We restrict where they can live and work and worship. We deny them medical care. Then we arrive at some warped conclusion that there must be something inherently wrong with them because they suffer from higher rates of violence, suicide, homelessness, unemployment. When all along it was a deliberate strategy to marginalize them. What are your thoughts? How society treats us can send, a, especially send a youngster into a suicidal uh, mode. I've heard too many cases where someone tried to teach a young child not to be the gender they identify with, resulting in that child taking their life, because basically saying, you're not listening to me. This is who I am. And I have to be who I am, or I don't want to be who I am. And, and that happens a lot. It happens when someone is laid off because they're a transgender person. It's all in how they treat it. It all depends on the, the level of support they get from the medical community and from their friendships. Uh, I've got to a point where I'm happy with who I am, and I try to express that to other people. Says, you can get there. You've got to work at it like everybody else. But how society treats some people is terrible, and they can't figure out, how do I get around that? How do I be happy with myself, and ignore those bullies, the people that tell me that I can't be the way I am. I think we all benefit when we as a society dismantle rigid gender roles. I mean, why should I have to wear a dress if I don't want to? Why should I have to wear makeup if I don't want right. to? Why can't I learn to drive a truck if I want to? Absolutely correct. I know of, of women who really freak out if they're told they need to wear a skirt or a dress. And I said, I'll wear it if you want. <laughs> I had to go out and buy some jeans to do my, my carpentry work and, and even drive the truck. All I have is skirts in my closet. <laughs> and a lot of times we hide. It's to become a transgender woman in our society. You have to be the ultimate transgender woman. You've you got to make sure you really look the part. You have to do the extreme. Maybe that's where the makeup comes into play. It's like, I'm going to be the ex this extreme person and really show them I'm feminine. And it takes a while to get to the point, like I do. I'm just happy with who I am. And sometimes that's the key. And if someone has a problem with, with me being who I am, that's their problem. It's not mine. I don't have to dress up or be someone I don't want to be. I just want to be who I am. Any final thoughts? My daughters, for instance, I worried about them to start off with when I was first coming out. I shouldn't have worried about them. They were strong kids. They grew up in a strong family. 
They were really worried about me when I went on the road driving trucks. What's going to happen to you? And once I proved to them that I could do that safely, they were happy. And as I've done more things, you know, become a school board member, and now I'm a role model for them. They are proud of who I am and what I am showing people a transgender person can be and do. And I am so thrilled that they are happy with me. Even my ex has shared with me that she's really happy that I'm doing what I'm doing to help other people. That was momentous. I am happy with who I am and what I'm doing. Find helpful resources at transequality.org or the Human Rights Campaign, hrc.org or glad.org with two A's. Do you have a compelling story or do you know someone I should interview? Drop me a line at diaryofanation at gmail.com. Please tell a friend to listen too. That's how we grow our audience and continue podcasting. Find Diary of a Nation through your favorite podcast app. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Diary of a Nation. Thank you.